0: Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week I'm speaking with Rowena Bark, who is an early career strategist, having been head of future talent at Sky. In some organisations like Sky, there are dedicated functions looking after early careers, and in some, like everywhere I've worked, this will sit with learning and development. In this episode, we look at the opportunities and best practices of developing early careers talent, especially in view of ever-changing social expectations affecting talent pools and tenure. This is an enlightening conversation. I certainly learnt a lot and I'm sure you will too. So let's get into it. Rowena, welcome to the learning and development podcast. Hello David. We met in the learning and development team at Disney when I joined in 2006 and since then you've been L&D manager for Disney Consumer Products before then heading off to Sky where you headed up their future talent team which meant as far as i understood recruiting and developing grads interns and apprentices an area that you've since chosen to specialize in what appeals to you about this area
1: it's a great starter question it's a really it's a very personal driver mm. i'm very interested in the situation we have in the country today Young people are very challenged, depending on where they're born, dictates what their future options might be, mm. and had the opportunity to work in a sector that can tangibly change people's lives, and is, is a privilege. Mm. I love that opportunity every day that makes it worthwhile getting out of bed.
0: So, so there's the social aspect for you, but what about for organisations? What problem are you trying to solve as an early career strategist for organisations?
1: There are two. Really? At a macro scale, it's that element around your background can determine where you're going. And an early career strategy goes a long way towards helping change this Mm -hmm. Um, from an organizational scale on a local scale. Companies that have these early career programs often struggle with typical recruitment challenges like if they're a well-known consumer brand, they get too many applications and it's, it's costly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, or they get too, di- too few diverse candidates, yeah. which means that they're not bringing in innovation or ideas or representing their customer base. Or they have problems where candidates drop out of the process because they're not engaged with the organisation mm. or they change their minds about their that career route. So basically your funnel, your recruitment funnel leaks. And this occurs in every organisation, large mm-hmm. or small. And a quality bespoke, focused career strategy, especially on entry-level talent, can improve that drastically, um, really sort of candidate-centric early careers.
0: Yeah, candidate-centric. I think we're already talking the same language right. when I talk about employee-centricity when it comes to, to other areas of, of learning and development. But what I'm hearing from you, I am, how I'm interpreting it, is that some of the, the preconceptions that we, as an older generation, may have of a younger generation. Yeah, may be born from our inability to adapt to changing situations in the world, rather than them themselves. When when you say that there are candidates dropping out, we might mm. take a look at a flaky generation. But really,
1: oh no, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yes, and I I'd spend a lot of my time talking with people to help them understand what Generation Z is. Mm. I, I'm pretty sure most of your audience, your listeners will know, but basically they're the 12 to 24-year-olds mm. today. And this is a fascinating generation. Now, big caveat, right? Mm. Big caveat, I don't believe, I am a Gen Z specialist, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that Gen Z characteristics are only beholden to people born within a certain birth year. Yeah. The characteristics arise out of the global, economic, social, political trends that affects everyone's daily lives, the cost of food, their parents' jobs, accessibility to transport. Mm. Um, all these factors make up how a younger person who's more impressionable, is, sorry, is forming their impression of their world and creating their identity. Mm. It forms their value set. But you see it outside of that. So... One of my colleagues wrote a fantastic blog this week about why do we focus on employer brand more for entry-level talent than we do for the rest of hires throughout mm. the organisation? And I think that reflects for internal cultural brands really understanding what is what is happening in the outside world and how that's affecting your people on the inside because mm. they're the ones that are bringing it into bringing it through the door in the morning. Yeah. They don't leave it on the train. They take it to their desks.
0: I'm glad you've uh, you brought this up already. There is the elephant in the room when... And you see it a lot of the time on uh, on social media. There is people saying that there's an oversimplification of the generations, whether that's Gen Z now whether that was Gen Y before, and millennials. And certainly, from my perspective, I think that that these generational categories seem to be coming thicker and faster. It's almost like you we can't catch up, and almost like remarketing. So, look to selling further products. But I always take it back to baby boomers. I think that. When you start looking at a generation such as baby boomers, you're not trying just to pigeonhole. Although current political situations might see, uh, certainly in the UK, that that baby boomer characteristics are uh, part of the problem as far as Brexit's is concerned. Um, not my views, you know, but 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 an oversimplification. Mm-hmm. But you can see that when, um, from a media and culture perspective, being exposed to a certain um set of experiences is going to engender a type or group of people that think can, can, in can way. Yeah. yeah,
1: and if you think about internally you everyone will have heard five generations in the workforce, yeah i'll just pick up on one of your interesting points there and mm. um, that is they, it seems becoming thick and fast. Mm. this is because our profession is evolving yeah. It's similar to when behavioral economics suddenly became uh, an element that HR could pay attention to yeah. attention to so nudge theory and when nudge theory was first introduced in terms of learning and how you might be moving somebody on incrementally in order to create greater in order to generate greater gains. I'm sure I haven't got the definition exactly mm. right, but that's the essence of it. generational theories are more and more prevalent now now my cynical side is a yeah. lot of people make a lot of money out of this. Yeah. And uh, we've just got to understand that in every industry there are angles that people um, utilise to their own advantage. We set that aside and look at it. Why do L and D professionals, HR professionals, stay in their stay in that in this industry? Because we are have the space in business to bring something that the business don't have time or isn't their primary driver to pay attention mm. to. I'm not trying to be controversial saying that HR should stay in HR and the business doesn't do people, Yeah, but we can bring to that audience, bring to our internal clients information they wouldn't necessarily have as a catalyst for talking about culture, as a catalyst for talking about performance, mm. retention, growth of our talent.
0: So Rowena, you began your work in this area at Sky where there's a strategic imperative to recruit and develop grads, apprentices and interns what challenges were your team there addressing for Sky?
1: There were two major organisational challenges and a couple that drove each individual uh, discipline mm-hmm. of the programme, so finance or marketing, for example. So starting with the the, the organisational challenges, the first one was because we're a well-known consumer brand, we were receiving between twenty-seven and thirty-five thousand applications a year for a hundred roles. Wow! Every single one of those is Potentially a customer. Yeah. So candidate experience was crucial. But this was back in the day when we were just, the industry was just really starting to talk about candidate experience. The industry was shifting at that point from um, an employer-driven relationship to Mm. a point where the candidate really had the choice of who they were going to go to. The candidate had the power. Mm. The second challenge we had as a a large organisation was that we had very little budget. Mm. You would not believe how small my budget was to produce a marketing campaign and redo the website, refresh collateral. It was incredibly tight, super lean. So there are amazing organizations out there that I wanted to work with, like Bright Networks, that I couldn't because I couldn't have the budget. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rare, who do the um, diversity recruitment, couldn't work with them. Mm -hmm. Really challenging. That's okay. And then the other challenges with business problems we were facing were in the broadcast media side of the business we had an aging workforce with the um with the camera skills and di- filming skills and that, as the business was digitalizing we needed a strategy to bring in talent to make sure that we could keep operating
2: mm. that was a
1: a 10-year plan and then for example in the technology um, streams the reason we had a tech grad program run by the amazing comrade langworthy who is still there connect with him he's awesome And that was designed at that point to change the um, employee makeup of the department. So Mm. we had a heavy contractor base and we wanted to move to a permanent staff base. That was one of the drivers, also to bring in uh, the latest sinking from education.
0: Mm. And how was that kind of split between grads, apprentices and interns? I'm thinking that that back during that time, the apprenticeship levy was just brought in, was, yeah, and, yeah just, and just really being pushed by, yeah. um, certainly <laughs> yes. by the mayor of London at the time. But so, so how how there
1: were around a hundred grads, about the same apprentices, uh, sporadic pockets of interns, mm. and four four hundred to five hundred work experience individuals sporadically yeah. in a very nepotistic manner. Uh, so that was about a fifth of the annual workforce hiring every year coming through my team.
0: So you know, we both worked at Disney, and so we know that, um, that that Disney used to bring in. I think it was it went up during my time from eighty to about a hundred interns in the UK alone. And this was in the, the the European headquarters. But whereas you had the future talent team at Sky that you headed up for many organizations, just like I, me at Disney. That would have been something that L&D would have been expected to pick up. And we were heavily involved in both the recruitment and the development of Mm. of interns. Um, So if it's just another thing for learning and development to absorb, what do you see as the consequences? Because you know how small the learning and development team at Disney
1: was. But each model has its pros and cons, right? Some organisations have these distinct early careers teams and where recruitment and development work really closely together. Others have it organised by specialism. Mm. Others have the recruitment sitting in the business. They, when you have it, these distinct groups. Some of the consequences are that you can become wrapped up in a procurement process. Mm. For example, brand and marketing companies who don't understand the audience or what candidate experience really means around recruiting young talent or talent from any uh, alternative source pool. Um, in the latter, you often have it where they're is a poorer candidate experience because you have professionals that aren't understanding the recruitment process. Mm. So recruitment isn't a handoff to l and I think that it's a feeder for organisational development. Mm. And this is a challenge that I take to my contacts and my clients. Every new person that you bring will challenge your organisational dynamic mm-hmm. because they're in their unique context. And organisational development and learning and development – are the voice in the business for helping people adjust and helping the company and the teams evolve with every new person that comes in. Mm. So every wave of graduates or apprentices or returner mums or ex-forces will subtly adjust the way that you communicate and businesses need to keep agile and evolving around that. So I think it's a challenge to L&D and OD teams to take graduate and early talent and apprenticeship development out of programmatic um, skills filling in mm-hmm. and take it forward into progressive organizational development. And there are if there are any great examples out there, I'd love to hear about it. Contact mm. me. I don't see many if I'm honest. I'd be interested to to hear them. A lot of it's still programmatic.
0: Yeah. And so and to give an example, I mean if you're if you're not seeing a great deal of that, then there may not be a great deal. Perhaps at a conceptual level, what does that look like, taking it out of the programmatic as you've just described?
1: It looks like understanding how a new wave of thinking, a new way, no, that's even more, understanding how a new set of personal drivers is going to influence communication, for example, in your Mm. business. So you have 100 young people coming in who make decisions based on, um, Activism, radicalism, and loyalty. Mm-hmm. To three typical um, characteristics of gen- Generation Z. But sitting next to your baby boomers who make decisions based on um, hierarchy, legacy, and um, commitment. Mm-hmm. Those two are very different drivers. You need to ma- ma- sort of facilitate the, Im- the immersion integration of those two thinkings.
0: Mm. Wow. Now that doesn't seem like something that can be easily addressed. Starts with conversations. Yeah,
1: conversations supported by information and understanding, mm. and also it's a it's a challenge to the leadership of the organisation to relate to draw on their L and D and OD counterparts to find ways to help move their leadership forward. Yeah. So, for example, one business I know is is trying to tackle this in in a in to a small starting to tackle this. And they are shifting how their management structures work rather than having management going off into a room and discussing each month the next direction for the business and the commercials. They take that out to a team and have it as a um, democratic contribution mm-hmm. so that the whole company is contributing towards the decisions about the future, which allows all of these differences of uh, and valuable differences of opinion to come through.
0: So when I mentioned before that doesn't sound easy, as soon as you said that it's a conversation, and in my mind I thought, okay, yeah, of course it's not something that can be delivered. Then you realise how empowering that dynamic shift can be. That for on one part you are, on the way that I perceived it, perhaps in a more traditional learning and development sense, especially when you'd mentioned it was programmatic, is that something that's delivered to people that's perhaps you're like this, they're like this. Do this instead. Oh, God, you know, no. Exactly. It's a
1: conversation. So I'll give you another example. There's another team I'm talking to who the leaders, and we're talking 17 years difference. Yeah. It's not a lot, but it's profound. They're questioning why their junior staff are leaving at 5.30. Mm. When they worked, they would stay till eight or nine.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's because they the, the junior staff have a different, different connection with their different value yeah. set. They're working their guts off during the day. Mm. They're Working their guts off—is that a phrase? <laughs> Just created a new phrase. They're working really intently, giving yeah. their all to do the, do the great job, but they stop when it's time when they when they want when it's time to stop.
0: Yeah, which leads me on to uh, my next question. I want to discuss with you. Then, what what are the key trends that that the listener, that as an L and D professional, perhaps as an early career specialist, needs to be considering today?
1: Hmm. One is the global skills gap.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I've been writing about this recently uh, because there is an interesting study about what's missing in the coming out of today's apprentices, school leavers and graduates as they go into work, resilience and teamwork. Mm. So I think your audience need to be really getting under the skin of how, what do you do about that? Uh, if they're the least available skills, how could, should L and D be pushing up the employee cycle towards the beginning of the employee cycle around the way you're attracting candidates mm. to get them ready for when they come in? And by the way, doing good because you're giving skills back to the widest, to the wider nation by helping a whole cohort of. Imagine if I was able to help thirty five thousand students improve their resilience through the way they interacted with our website. Yeah, that's tremendous impact. Mm. That's my challenge, and that's what sort of one of the trends I think that L and D should be looking at. Another one, uh, I think this will surprise you, uh, but the impact of technology. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you have, for example, I don't know if anyone saw it, the Telegraph, and I'm going to say scaremongering because this particular piece was quite challenging, Mm -hmm. around saying that 60% of jobs will be eradicated by technology. But on the other hand, you have the World Economic Forum, who are saying that technology is simply changing how organisations work Mm. and that new skills and new roles will be needed. So same facts interpreted differently. Your business, the people in your business are receiving both of those viewpoints mm. or maybe just one or the other. L&D and organisational development professionals need to help the business navigate through that. Yeah, You might have people sitting there fearful that their roles are going to disappear or the person next to them is excited because finally they're going to get the technology that means they don't have to do the admin anymore. Mm. Two people, same role, same company, completely different. Different concerns or excitement. So, I think um, I think that is an important trend to be looking at. I was with a large retailer recently whose entire business model has been changed in the last eighteen months as technology has changed all their competitors' models, and they are now having to radically overhaul their business. And an entry, uh, an early careers, an alternative source of talent strategy is part of that. Mm. So they're looking at how to bring more neurodiverse individuals into their organisation because they understand they need to break the way they've traditionally been thinking about their customers.
0: But look, maybe maybe I need to be more cynical here. Um, <laughs> is it not just that younger people are all self-entitled and want the money and the title before <laughs> they've earned it? Shouldn't they just shut up, or fall into line and earn their stripes?
1: Well, the good news is, <laughs> David, you're allowed to adopt some of those characteristics because... I believe that these things reflect outside of your your birth year. So if you want to start demanding more, this is your right. You have the right to do so. But no, it's a good one. Um, They do have different relationships with the companies they work with Mm. and for, and it is because of the tumultuous world they've grown up in and the technology that they're now exposed to and is part of their everyday operations. And they, uh, let's try and make it practical, for example think about information they expect it in an instant take mm. induction i'm sure every listener is has induction on their priority list somewhere about how to improve it make it more efficient shorten time to assimilation how many how difficult is it to access information in your organization about mm. previous decisions previous products examples of work that you've done this access to information needs to change mm-hmm. and your audience are demanding that the mm. oh, audience sorry these young people this generation are demanding that on the other side of it it's all about customer service it's more important than the content alone mm. i'm sure i've heard you talking about the campaigns that you've run through loop that it's half content half the campaign promotion that you do around it mm-hmm. that's the customer element coming through Build it, they won't come. Yeah, and there's a lot of pressure uh, on companies to be authentic with their brand. Now that is such a businessy term, mm. authentic. You know, air quotes. Authentic with their brand. What does that mean? It, to me, it's it's essentially really being, really, really understanding that people come to work for very specific reasons. Mm and you've got to get to know them those reasons and they have to feel comfortable being honest about them yeah. and not being judged and that is a, a huge shift and that's what this generation do because they will judge you back if you're not honest yeah decisions made behind closed doors commercials hidden you know people pulled into a room for a private conversation it's a real challenge and just think how exciting it's going to be when these young people take up and they start running businesses mm. businesses will not be the same Decisions we really make. Comp- competition will mean different things.
0: And what you're describing there is uh, some people will see as a as a huge opportunity, whilst many will be fearful. I, I love what you described there about uh, access to information. What I how I interpret that in organisations is that people don't have shortened attention spans, and um, it's not that they won't wait. I just think that there's this intolerance for rubbish experiences. There's an intolerance for information being held back. There's an intolerance for not embracing modern tools that are going to diminish the amount of friction that I experience in my daily working. It goes back to what you said, which is people have specific reasons that they work. Now, they may be disparate reasons and they may not be easily identifiable to others or or maybe to oneself, but many people will work because, and, and this changes over time, as we well know, first of all to fund the things that are fun mm-hmm. you know you might you might join, join gain a job to fund the things that are fun what you don't realize is that there are some transferable skills that you could be developing along the way mm-hmm. before and for some and for many you'd hope the penny clicks and things oh wait a minute i'm in this for the long haul mm-hmm. i better sharpen my act and, mm-hmm. and, and start doing something by which mm-hmm. time you have developed some transferable skills and now you're just a little bit more switched on Nick Shackleton-Jones uses a great phrase, he says, about organisations should try to be usable. So people coming into the organisation can use your organisation in order to get the right things done efficiently, Mm -hmm. to be able to influence. Um, It's not just about accessing information, but it's about uh, gaining the know-how and insights required in order to manoeuvre, get the right things done, and then you switch on to another uh, driver for, for people a lot of the time which is about improving their prospects. So it's not just about funding lifestyle, sharpening up, trying to do more, but again, it goes back to funding greater things than yourself, including family and ambitions. And sometimes I think in learning and development, we get stuck and we look and we think, well, people come to work to learn as well. So let's create facilities for them to learn. And I think that that's a big mistake and that's not what you're talking about.
1: Exactly. And another example there's an organization that I've been talking to around they have to change and make their staff, mm. salespeople when they were traditionally opera- operations yeah deliverers. and this they need to in order to generate new business and become uh, an agile organization responding to their customers' needs. Mm. They have followed. Cotter's change model
0: mm-hmm.
1: to the T and it's not worked. Right. And getting under the skin of it and taking this generational lens, it's because this or this audience don't necessarily they, they don't engage with a vision, you know, a galvanizing mission. Mm. Oh, I mean, sorry, they do engage with galvanizing, but when in order of getting them to change how they behave, what it's come down to is they want to understand what's in it for them, yeah, and what's in it for them. But deeper than that, that it's more than um something they just have to do in order for the benefit of the business and their higher purpose and their higher purpose. It's mm. like I'm coming in to do my work. I've got a lot to do already. If you want me to do this, like the Amazon model, you've got to take something away. Yeah, my role is not evolving. You can't keep adding something, even if it is worth something, even if it is for the greater good, to keep my job because the company be more commercially viable. It's not enough. You have to actually evolve the processes.
0: Mm. Which brings me on to my next question. Are there traditional practices that we really need to be challenging today in the context of, of early careers and people development?
1: Well, I read a report recently about what CEOs worry about. And they um put the, if i remember rightly the number one challenge as attracting and retaining top talent mm-hmm. now, we could have a long discussion about what top means there was another survey that shared that ceos worry about key skills mm. and i think if you look at this unhappiness and that a lot of new hires do fail within the first 18 months of being in an organization and there's huge costs around this
0: as, as many as one in four i read in a report recently
1: yeah exactly this is it's not working mm. so talk about traditional practices that have to change we need to look at you know advertising a job screening applications no no no, no. it's it's almost a fallacy that interviews get you to know what you need to know about the person mm. so many companies are still not using their levy it's hard to, to implement apprenticeships, to do your to change your workforce planning mm-hmm. in order to bring them in. Um, I hear, I hear, and I respect businesses that say, "I just don't want to change." There's too much going on for mm-hmm. me to change the structure, to change our operating model. they have really got to relook at our organisations and look at what it takes to get things done in a job, and really. Be creative and reorganise jobs. Rethink mm. about the customer and the end goal of their interaction with your organisation. And how could you alternatively align people out of the traditional junior salesperson, senior salesperson, mm. head of sales, commercial director? Maybe there's another way to look at it that gets your customers through their journey into your business.
0: So it's not so much about looking at, at roles as things to be done but more looking at the people and seeing huge amounts of potential in there. That, given the opportunity, the freedom, the autonomy—sorry—the um, opportunity to develop, then giving them an opportunity to grow and and fulfil, which can sound fanciful, and but it does take some re-engineering of thinking when you talk about um, a, a job application through to the collection of CVs and. Then you've got sifting software. You've got you know. It, it seems to dehumanise the situation and take it down to to just some key words. And of course, anecdotally, I hear that people just don't hear back. And probably if if organisations such as Sky and you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Sky are in this bucket, but if if another organization's receiving twenty five to thirty five thousand applications for a hundred roles, then what are they doing to manage the candidate experience for those who aren't successful. Exactly. But then looking at the opportunity that to, to bring people in, as you've mentioned, the candidate experience, making sure that, that people leave as still committed consumers, mm-hmm. if not more committed as a result of the experience, but then both planning, mapping, and executing on an experience that helps to engender both um, engagement in the organisation and its purpose, as you said, not some crass exercise in which you bring people together who produce a laminate at the end with a load of buzzwords that that pin together, you hope that, that will engender some kind of uh, commitment, but that is just seen as maybe a, an oversimplification or a, or a facile exercise Created by a management layer who yes. are perhaps lost themselves, let alone trying to aren't do leading. the right thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and reading the books that that might might actually not be delivering the results for them, or the content that doesn't deliver the results for them. That perhaps it might have in the eighties and nineties. Mm. It's a it's a different world. It's a, it's certainly shifting. And so again, what what opportunities you mentioned about the apprenticeship level, uh, apprenticeship levy, sorry. Um, and I'd love to explore that with you but amongst the other opportunities that organisations are missing out on by not focusing on their entry level talent in the mm. ways that you've described.
1: Well, let's face it. Companies are still not balanced. Mm. They're not equal. They don't represent society. Mm-hmm. And early careers and other alternative pools of people are, and I'm going to be bold here, are the new norm. Mm-hmm. All recruitment should be taken into this into account and it, they should become the future of your company. Mm-hmm. And there is an enormous opportunity if HR functions, learning, recruitment can shift towards viewing their potential staff with this new lens. Mm. Or I might even say the right lens. I don't even want to call it new. It's mm-hmm. just finally getting it right is probably th- th- my sentiment on it. Missing the chance to change your culture, uh, the culture of makeup, and therefore the likelihood or the op- you know the the more certainty around surviving and thriving. The business world is changing. Our economic environment is going to be tumultuous over the next eighteen months, two years. Um, we know that downturns occur in what is it nine year waves? Something mm. nine year waves. We have to, companies have to evolve. Cultures have to evolve. Um, there's every chance that we're heading towards a um, you know another recession and if you're going to be managing costs and headcount carefully, it means that you're going to have to be asking more from your employees and they're going to be demanding back in a way that they haven't before Mm. just as much. So you must establish the best possible honest relationships from the earliest moment and thinking about recruitment and having an entry level talent strategy around customer centered one gives you the best chance of doing that. Um, yeah, it would be remiss not to mention Brexit because mm-hmm. uh, our UK's ability to attract global, global talent is going to be challenged for a period until we understand how it all settles down. Yep. I don't know. Dealing with inequality isn't just an ethical imperative. It's There's so much evidence about how a balanced workforce vastly improves how successful organisations are. Um, so there's just an opportunity here to utilize entry-level talent and alternative talent pools to to, to really, truly transform how your company is set up. And it it takes, it's not easy. Mm. It does require planning. It does require change. And that's the bit that's hardest. People say it's budget. People say it's time. Mm -hmm. It's change that's hard. Recently did a piece of research about degree apprenticeships, the growth and how that has potential to eradicate the graduate model Mm. at its most extreme. And when I looked into the feedback as the reasons why people were reducing their graduate intakes and those that weren't, the ones that were, had overcome five key issues. One they were understanding that the journey you go on with somebody is worth more than hiring the finished product. Mm-hmm. Two, they they'd really got under the skin of what does it mean to, to have a university experience and how is that truly going to impact a business and is it worth it? Three, they'd had an outreach strategy that generated applications because there aren't enough applications for degree apprenticeships, almost half the number that you get for an apprenticeship from Data I last week. And four, they were looking at what is it um, truly around the decision that a young person makes about an organization. The fifth one is that some of their business partners don't want to not hire grads, mm. they just want to hire grads because they have a perception around it being safe, they're fearful of change. Mm. So it's the same. The ability for, H- for HR professionals who partner with the business, for L&D if they're directly in the business, for recruitment every time they're talking to a hiring manager, to have the skills to, to help someone, help a team change, mm. that is the key.
0: So bringing this back to um, people development, and we're going to have people development um, listeners who have the opportunity to partner or do partner with recruitment so they can influence the conversation there but they may not have the the currency to influence the organisation at the top level. So what can people development do given that they have grads, apprentices, interns um, in large, small, unequal numbers what what can people development do now to improve the experience
1: to improve the candidate experience there's a very simple step which is to to which is to start to give your intake the information they need to be successful before they arrive on day 1 mm-hmm. and secondly you could start giving your candidates Uh, skills top up or information they need to be their best selves during the process Mm. mentor them with current graduates or apprentices you could get the feedback from their application process and make sure that it's included in their induction and their personal development plan Mm -hmm. these are not costly but they're doable process changes now I'm I'm hoping that many of your audience are nodding their heads going good good I've got that I've got that Um, or it's inspiration for those that are thinking looking for a way to change just those, those three would be a good start.
0: Brilliant. That's great. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a good place to end. Rowena, thank you very much for, the, for your time and for being a guest on the Learning and Development podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that was an insightful and inspiring conversation. I hope this shed some light on the area of early careers development for you and gave you some ideas of things that you can consider and try. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, You can tweet me at DavidInLearning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.